While you're turning there, I do want to make mention, if you are visiting here with us this morning, we hope that you have felt welcome and, and loved by the members here, and we would like to have a record of your visit. Uh, so if you could, uh, please fill out a visitor card uh, that's on the back of the pew in front of you, and uh, you can just leave that in your pew when you get up, and we'll uh, make sure we get that picked up um, at the close of the service. Amos chapter 3 is where we'll be. Uh, thank goodness uh, for Brother Jason and his willingness to come. Um, just show you how much he means to me and how good friends uh, we are. Um, coming up uh, December 27th of this year, Ann and I will celebrate 10 years of marriage. Amen. And um, he was my best man. <laughs> and um, loved him to death. He, he was... Uh, I don't know who corrupted who at Southeastern, really. I don't know if he corrupted me or I corrupted him. Um, but I do know I, I was a good boy when I went to Southeastern. I don't know what happened by the time I got done. But uh, maybe it was one of those wrestling matches we had in the dorm, and I took a few pie pants to the head one too many times. But um, Amos chapter 3 is where we'll be at this morning. And if you're able, I'd invite you to stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Amos chapter 3, begin with verse number 1. The Word of God says, Hear this word that the Lord hath spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a young lion cry out of his den if he hath taken nothing? Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth when no gin is for him? Shall one take up a snare from the earth and have taken nothing at all? Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? Shall there be evil in the city and the Lord hath not done it? Surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God hath spoken, who can but prophesy? Publish in the palaces of Ashdod, and in the palaces of the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria, and behold the great tumults in the midst thereof, and the oppressed in the midst thereof. For they know not to do right, saith the Lord, who store up violence and robbery in their palaces. Therefore thus saith the Lord God, An adversary there shall be even round about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. Thus saith the Lord, As the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs, or a piece of an ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed and in the Damascus in a couch. Hear ye and testify in the house of Jacob, saith the Lord God, the God of hosts, that in the day that I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him, I will also visit the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altars shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will smite the winter house with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, perish, and the great houses shall have an end, saith the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning once again thanking you that, uh, Lord, you are a living God. Lord God, you have brought us here together 
uh, to hear your word proclaimed. We know that your word doesn't return void. And so, Father, I ask that, Lord, whatever you have called us here for, through the preaching of your word, you convict our hearts to do just that. Lord, if there's one here that is uh, strained from you, Father, use the word of God. Use your word to convict them to come back. Lord, if there's one here that's lost, Lord, that is in need of a Savior, I pray that this morning you will convict them of their sin. Lord, that you will point them to Jesus. And Lord, they'll confess their sins and you'll forgive them and save them this very morning. But Lord, we ask now that you be glorified through the preaching of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. These past few weeks we've been looking at Amos and we learned about uh, uh, some of the things going on in Amos. We looked at chapter uh, 1 and we saw in the latter part of the chapter how that uh, the nations surrounding Israel and Judah, the two divided kingdoms that we have at the time, that they were in danger of uh, judgment of God. And the way that Amos is addressing them is he is addressing these enemies of Israel so that he can really gain Israel and Judah's trust. He's being from the south part, being from Judah, uh, knows that when he begins to preach, he's got to do something to get people to listen to him. So he goes through and, and God has a pronounced judgment upon the enemies of Israel. And so when he's preaching to them, the uh, people of Israel and Judah are, are, are standing there going, Yeah, preach it, preacher. We love it when you preach against their sins. We love it when you preach it to those. But then he talks about Judah, and no doubt the tone of their voice changed. He talked about Israel, and the tone of their voice changed. Because nobody, nobody likes to hear their own sins preached against. We always want to hear people preach uh, against sins that we're not committing. But when you name sins such as gossip and slander and lies, what we might call church folk sins, that's when the congregation says, Preacher, you're meddling now. They don't want to hear any of that. We want to hear hard sermons about preaching on abortion and murder and rape and all these sins that we in the church are not committing. But yet when it boils down to it, the ones, that, what we might call small sins, those are the ones that are needed to be addressed. And that, in a sense, church folk sins. God's people sins. That's what Amos is getting to. In chapter 2, he pronounces judgment to come upon the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel. And in chapter 3, he now begins to speak not to one kingdom or the other, but he begins to speak to the whole house of Israel. I've titled this morning's sermon, The Danger of Privilege. There's a lot of talk about privilege these days, isn't it? I mean, you can turn on the news and, and they might be discussing racial privilege. We, we often think about uh, social privilege. Whereas we, we might address somebody and talk about that, that silver spoon born in somebody's mouth. And we, we talk about different privileges that, that we enjoy even in this country. Isn't it wonderful 
that we live in a country where we have the freedom to worship as we choose fit. Where we have the freedom to worship uh, Jesus Christ without the fear of persecution. We can gather here and not have to fear right now at this moment of uh, the police or the government busting in and telling us we've got to go. That's the privilege that we have of living here in America. You know, Israel had a privilege. A privilege of being God's chosen people to carry out a certain task. They, they had the privilege of being, uh, of, uh, with Abraham being called out of Ur. They had the privilege of, of being brought out of Egypt. They had a privilege of having the law given to them. Having the prophets given to them. Having the word of God proclaimed to them. And it was their responsibility to live accordingly and to really be the example and the witness that they were to be to a lost world. They were to be God's people uh, showcasing the glorious grace and the glorious light of God. But they failed in that privilege of America. Isn't it great? Like I said, we, we have the privilege of gathering and, and worshiping here this morning. We have the privilege of being able to, to go uh, to a bookstore and, and buy a Bible. We have the privilege of being raised in Christian homes. We have the privilege of having a church on every corner, so to speak. But it's been said with great privilege comes great responsibility. The more privileges that we have of knowing God's word and hearing God's word, the more responsible we will be for what we do with God's word. That's what's going on in the life of Israel at this time. So I want us to speak this morning on the subject of the danger of privilege. I've just got two points to make this morning. Number one, I want us to see the judgment deserved in verses 1 through 10. And then, verses 11 through 15, we'll see the judgment declared. Look at verse number 1. As we begin looking at this sermon, uh, this passage in chapter 3, uh, it says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O children of Israel, against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt. First of all, we have this command that's giving. Amos, as he is standing, and he's no longer addressing Israel, the northern kingdom, or Judah, the southern kingdom. He's now addressing the entire people of God. And he stands and he says, Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you. What is that? That is a command. Can I stand here and say this this morning? That the word of God is a command that we hear. When I stand before you and I'm preaching, and Lord, I, I pray that I don't get in the flesh, but I take this Bible and I rightly divide the word of truth, and I preach it right down the line, thus saith the Lord. And when we hear that, it is not me, but it is God speaking to you through the preaching of His Word. It demands and it commands that we hear what it has to say. When God speaks, listen, Oprah can speak all she wants to. Dr. Phil can talk all he wants to till he's blue in the face. But listen, when God speaks, 
We should listen. His word demands that we hear what it says. That we hear what he says. So he says, hear this word. The Lord has spoken. He says, old family of Egypt. And then he reminds them of something. He says, which I brought up from the land of Egypt, saying, You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. So what does that mean? First of all, what he's doing is he's reminding them of their past, where they once was. How that at one time that Israel was in bondage in Egypt. They were in bondage. They were slaves to Pharaoh to, to do his bidding. And he's reminding them that don't you remember that when you were in bondage and the, the taskmasters were so harsh on you and they were so burdensome on you, don't you remember that God in his grace and in his mercy delivered you up out of Egypt? He says, you only have I known. Now that's not saying God wasn't aware of any other nation on the earth. That would be ridiculous to think God would be caught off guard. Well, there's another nation over here. I thought it was just Israel. No. What he gets at when he says, you only have I known, he's saying, I've had a special relationship with you, Israel. I brought you up out of Egypt. I brought you into the land that, that you possessed. And, and, and I, I gave you commandments. I gave you my word. I gave you how you were to come to me. You were my people. We had this bond. We had this relationship that I didn't have with Assyria. That I didn't have with the Canaanites. I didn't have this with Egypt. He says, I've known you. We've had this relationship. I've cared for you and I've taken uh, care of you all throughout the days. And so what does he say? He says, therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. That's the danger of the privilege that Israel had. They had the oracles of God. They had the law of God. But yet... They were always straying. They're always doing their own thing. They're always getting caught up in the worldliness, the idolatry of the people around them. They would forget about God and what He had done, and they would follow after these other gods. And so finally God is saying, I've had enough, and I'm going to punish you for your iniquities, for your sin. Israel abused their privilege because they thought, you know what, we're God's people we're going to the altars and we're going to the sacrifices and we're giving up our lambs yearly and, and daily. We, we've got it made. God will look over this because we're, we're, we're his people. We have that privilege. But he's telling you because of your privilege, because of you having the law, because of you having the commandments to uh, sacrifice and Worship the way that I've commanded you because you've had these things, but you've completely disobeyed and, and went after false gods. He says, I will punish you for your iniquity. Can two walk together except they be agreed? The answer to that is no. You've got to have an agreement to, to where you're going to meet up and where you're going to go. He says, will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? Will a lion cry out of his den if he hath taken nothing? The answer, of course, to that is 
No, a lion, uh, when, uh, if, he, if he catches his prey, he's going to roar. Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where there's no gin set for him? In other words, can, can, you, uh, can a bird fall into a trap if there is no trap set for him? The answer is no. Verse 6, shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? There shall be, shall there be evil in a city, and the Lord hath not done it. That word "evil" speaks of calamity, what we might call uh, uh, disasters or just just bad stuff happening in the city, such as a war taking place. And of course, the answer: Shall a trumpet be blown in the city, and the people not be afraid? No, because a trumpet being blown means that there's war coming. There's a battle coming. There's 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 hor- something horrible is coming your way. When you hear the trumpet blown. Well here's what God is saying to Israel. Because you have had this special relationship with me. Because you have uh, had the commandments. Because you've had my word. Because you've had the prophets. Because you've been aware of how you're to sacrifice and worship. But yet you've went after other gods. You went after uh, your own fleshly desires. Because of this, you will pay for your sin. You will face the judgment. In other words, he's saying right now, God is speaking. The The trap is set and the trumpet is sounding. Fast forward. 2018. United States of America. And even North Long Beach Baptist Church. We live in a nation now where it has been approved that that homosexuals can get married. They've tried to redefine marriage. We know what marriage is. We know marriage is between one man and one woman for life. No Supreme Court can change that definition. It will always be that. You can have a man and a man get married. It's not a marriage. A woman and a woman get married. It's not a marriage. There's only one definition for marriage, and it wasn't defined by the government. It was defined by God. We live in a nation now where it is perfectly legal. If you don't want your baby, you can go down to a clinic, and a so-called doctor will tear that baby limb from limb out of his mother's womb. We live in a nation now where that was founded on Christian beliefs, Judeo-Christian heritage. But yet slowly and slowly we're drifting away from that. Christians are losing their rights. Muslims and other religions are gaining more rights. Who's to blame for all of this? Well, we are a democratic republic. So you know what that means? These people that we have placed in office that we voted for, by the way, let me, let me stress that enough, we voted for them as a nation, as a whole, and put them into the places they're in. And they're taking these privileges away. 
We often hear the phrase, God bless America. Why should he? We have done nothing as a nation but spit in the face of God. We have turned our backs on him. We have, we have pushed the name of God out of schools. We have pushed uh, social agendas. We have pushed uh, horrible uh, agendas such as uh, homosexuality and abortion to the forefront. And we call good evil and evil good. Can't preach in the name of Jesus or can't testify and witness in Jesus' name or pray in Jesus' name because that's bad and it might offend somebody. But let somebody stand up and say something about Muhammad or some of these other false gods and not a word is said to them. Why? Because we've declared good, evil, and evil good. We call it murder, abortion, or as they're trying to call it now, women's rights, women's health choices. Judeo-Christian heritage, churches everywhere. When judgment comes, we'll be more responsible than any other nation on earth for what we have done with the Word of God. You see, God is speaking, the trap is set, the trumpet sounding. There's judgment coming. So the preacher stands here now and he's preaching. He, he's saying all this. He says, surely the Lord God will do nothing, but he revealeth his secrets unto his servants of prophets. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? In other words, the, the God has spoken and the prophet Amos is saying, he's given me a message. I've got to get it out. The lion is roaring. I've got to warn people that the lion is roaring. And when the lion roars, there's something horrible and dangerous and terrible coming our way. And it's the judgment of God. He says, I've got to say something. In chapter 2 and verse number 12, says they gave the Nazarites wine to drink and commanded the prophets saying prophesy not but Amos is taking the stance that Jeremiah had in, in Jeremiah chapter 20 verse number 9 when he says but his word he says I try not to, to speak his name or but his word was like a fire showed up in my bones in other words he has a message that he has got to get out that God has had enough and judgment is coming This judgment is a rightly deserved judgment. He says in verse number 9, he says to the people of uh, Ashdod in Egypt, Assemble yourselves upon the mountains of Samaria, and behold the great tumults in the midst thereof, and uh, the oppressed in the midst thereof, for they know not to do right. Speaking of Israel, they don't know to do right. They've had the law, but they've forgotten it because of their sin. They've fallen into the trap of tradition and the lies of their fathers. They've forgotten what to do and how to serve God. So he says, he says, you enemies, that Ashdod, Egypt, these were enemies of Israel. He says, assemble yourselves together. He says, I want you to watch and see what I'm going to do to Israel. Could that be said of us this morning? Not just North Long Beach Baptist Church, but, but churches and Christians everywhere. 
that we have become so privileged in America that we've become so comfortable in our sin because we think, you know what? I was raised in a Christian home. I was brought up in church. I've had all the privileges of coming to church and, and hearing the gospel proclaimed. I'm, I think I'm pretty good. No. It doesn't matter where you grew up in church at. It doesn't matter if your daddy was a preacher or your mama was a Sunday school teacher. What matters is your relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Amen. And it says that if you don't have a relationship with God through Christ, you face the judgment. That's right. And there's so many people in churches that think that just because they went into the baptistry, just because they, are, they have their names on the roll, that they're right with God. You are not right with God. I had the privilege of sharing the gospel with somebody just, just this week. And for about 10, 15 minutes, this person got an earful of the gospel. He, uh, he was telling me, he's, he said, he's, I'm thinking about going to church on Sunday. He said, I just feel like I need to get back into church. He said, he's, I've been, he said, I woke up. He said, the other night, he said, I just have had, had, had the cold sweats. He said, I just kept seeing a, a vision of the cross. He said, I think that God some asked me to get back in church. He said, he said, I know I hadn't been in a while. He said, but, uh, and they, people like to use this verse out of context. But where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. Don't that, isn't that the same as going to church? And he said, what do you think? He said, you're the preacher. Tell me what you think. And I, yeah, I said, I'm glad you asked what I think. I said, well, first of all, I said, two or more are gathered. That doesn't mean you can just go to a coffee shop and sit down with a buddy and, and talk about Jesus and you've had your fill of church for the week. I said, that's not what that's talking about. I said, context of that is church discipline. I said, but the Bible says that we are to be members of a local body of Christ, a local Baptist, or a local New Testament church. Amen. And he says, well, I'm a member at such and such church. Hey, uh, I said, but you don't go, so what good does it do? I said, I'll tell you what's going on. I said, you're seeing a vision of the cross. The cross doesn't tell you to go to church. A cross is a reminder that we are sinners and we need to be saved by the grace of God. A, the cross is telling you that you are not right with God. I said, I said, God is using all these different things to, to get your attention. He's using, uh, um, I, said, I said, your family's falling apart. I said, you were in an accident that you should not have survived. I said, you, you're having these dreams of the cross, and now here I am preaching the gospel to you. God is obviously telling you, you need to get saved. I said, what's stopping you? And he said, I honestly don't know. Did he get saved? No, he, he, he didn't get saved that day, but I, I pray for him. That he'll eventually be, be so convicted of his sin that he can't help but go and run to Christ for salvation. But in that goes to show you the illiteracy that we have about Christianity and churches today. That because we can be on the name, have our names on the roll of a church, that we're all good. But having your name on the roll doesn't mean anything. It's where is your name written in the book of life? Amen. That's what matters. So judgment to these people that claim to be the people of God, they're going to be held to a double portion of their judgment when they stand before God on this day. So is their judgment deserved? Yes, it is. 
And if you come into church week after week, Sunday after Sunday, and you hear the gospel proclaimed, but yet you don't apply that gospel to your life, God help you. You deserve judgment. Amen. And so, judgment's deserved. And then lastly, we see that this judgment will be declared. In verse number 11, he says, Therefore, thus saith the Lord, an adversary there shall be round about the land, and he shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. This speaks of, I believe, Assyria coming in surrounding uh, Israel and taking them uh, into uh, captivity. It says, thus saith the Lord. Here's, here's the graceful part of it, though. He says, thus saith the Lord, as the shepherd taketh out of the mouth of the lion two legs, or a piece of them in the ear, so shall the children of Israel be taken out that dwell in Samaria in the corner of a bed in the Damascus in a couch. He says, I'll always have a remnant. He says, well, my sheep, will there be some left? Yeah. But there'll be, there'll be pieces of this sheep of my sheep left as if they've just been torn out of a lion's mouth. They'll just barely escape the judgment and the wrath of God. Verse 13, Hear ye and testify in the house of Jacob, saith the Lord God, the God of hosts. Then they that, listen, he just said an adversary thus should be round about the land, but now he's saying, verse 14, that in the day that I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him. He's saying this judgment, he says, I might be using Assyria or this enemy. He says, but I am doing it. This punishment is from me. I shall visit the transgressions of Israel upon him. I will also visit, listen, the altars of Bethel. And the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. And I will smite the winter house and the summer house. And the houses of ivory shall perish and the great houses shall have an end, saith the Lord. In other words, he's getting at when I come to punish and declare the judgment that you deserve. There'll be no place to hide. This judgment will reach all areas of life. It will reach political life. In verse number 11 he says, I shall bring down thy strength from thee, and thy palaces shall be spoiled. That strength would speak of the the walls surrounding the city, and the palaces shall be spoiled. Where the kings and the princes all live. He says, they'll be torn asunder. Religious life will be plundered in verse 14. He says, I will visit the altars of Bethel. Altars of Bethel. Now, if there was one place that you would think would be safe, it's a place called Bethel. You know what the word Bethel means? It's a translation of a word that means a house of God. Man, if you could find shelter and safety in any place, it should be in the house of God, shouldn't it? But he says, I will visit the altars of Bethel and listen, the horns of the altar shall be cut off. The horns of the altar were seen as a place of strength and uh, security. They could go and they could, when, when they felt judgment coming or, or somebody after them, they would go into to the place of worship and they would lay claim and, and they would grab onto the horns of the altar. And they would find safety and comfort. But God said, I'm going to wipe the horns clean off. There'll be no place for you to hide. Why? Bethel was not meant to be the place of worship, by the way. 
Jerusalem was to be the place that they were to worship. But this king that's uh, ruling right there now, uh, Jeroboam II, he had taken the place of worship in Jerusalem and said, you know what? Some people just can't get that far. So he set up two places, one in, I believe, Gilgal and the other in Bethel. And they were a place of idolatry worship, along with what they called worship of the true God. But they also worshiped idols here. This was the, and Bethel was a center of idol worship. The house of God is now the center of idol worship. I wonder how many of us have our particular idols within the house of God. Can't do certain things because, well, we can't get rid of this pew because I remember so-and-so bought this pew and paid a lot of money for that pew, so it's got to stay right there. Church again and building programs have that situation arise. Well, we can't really do something like that because, well, if we we've never done it that way before. That's the last words of a dying church right there. We've never done it that way before. We've never had that kind of music. We've never had that kind of preaching. We've never had that kind of a service. So tradition becomes an idol. And the things that we associate with tradition, those things in and of themselves become the idols. We worship music. I love music. I love all types of music. We worship, uh, dare I say, we, we, we worship different translations of the Bible. I love the King James. I preach from the King James. But there's a lot of good translations. But yet we want to hold to one specific thing. And we worship clothing. Preacher ought to stand and, and wear a suit and tie. I'm wearing a suit and tie, but you know what? I'd be just as comfortable and just as right and worshiping God and preach for Him if I was standing here in a blue pair of blue jeans and a t-shirt. There you go. <laughs> My wife was sent home one day from a church we served at because she wasn't, quote, wearing the right clothes. She was wearing a pair of a nice blouse and a pair of uh, nice dress pants. Said she wasn't dressed properly because she wasn't wearing a dress. You see how our tradition and our idolatry can take the place of truly worshiping God and hinder other people's worship of God? Do you find safety in the church membership? No, you won't find safety. When God visits, you won't find safety. This will be a judgment that is thorough. From political life to religious life and even social life, I will smite, verse 15, I will smite the winter house and the summer house and the houses of ivory shall perish and the great houses shall have an end saith the Lord. In other words, you can't have enough political clout, you can't have enough religious favor, and you can't have enough money to get away from the judgment of God. That's right. Here in the Bible Belt, 
people think that, well, we go to church on Sundays every once in a while and we we give our money every so often. We're, we're good to go. My daddy was a deacon. My, my mother taught Sunday school. We've got a bunch of money in the bank. Do you know who I am in this city? I'm an alderman or I'm a councilman. Big whoop, when it comes down to it, we're all equal at the foot of the cross. That's right. And that's the only way that you'll escape the judgment of God. It's through the shed blood of Jesus Christ and Him dying for your sins. This morning, you may be here and think that you've got it all figured out, that you're right with God because of your church membership, your social status, your politics. The only thing that can make you truly right with God is if you bowed your knee and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and said, Lord Jesus, forgive me my sins. For with the mouth, confession is made in salvation. Have you called upon Jesus? That's the only way you'll escape this judgment that is coming. So I'll stand to our feet for our hymn of invitation. Thank you for joining us for our broadcast. I hope you'll join us again next time with Rick Clark Ministries.